So the reading tonight is from Colossians 1, 24 to Colossians 2, verse 5. And in my Bible, that is 1182 to 1183. Now, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I will fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. That's good. Good evening. Good to see so many of you here. We were debating whether it was just going to be the four of us this evening, but there we are. It's a, it's a bit better than that. Uh, let's, uh, let's start with a brief prayer. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're continuing our current sermon series uh, around the third part of our church vision, uh, how to build disciples. And uh, building disciples is naturally a church function in some ways, but it's very much more than programs and groups and meetings and things like that, because we are the church. And therefore, we need to be committed to building ourselves up as disciples and also be committed to helping one another through the Holy Spirit to build each other up. And we're doing this, that is, thinking about being built up uh, through this study of Paul's letter to the Colossians. So uh, let's have a little review of how far we've come so far. It will be useful, I think, if you've got your Bible either open or on, to uh, maybe keep it open because we'll follow it through in pretty much chronological order. 
Paul is writing to a church, the church at Colossae, which he did not found. He was not the originator of the church. Uh, But nevertheless, yet he gives thanks to God for them, for them as a church. He says he prays for them, and he wants them to live a life that's worthy, a life that's fruitful, a life that's growing, and a life that's enduring. Why does he want this? Because God has brought them, that is, the church at Colossae, and via a series of generations and passing the word on, he wants us to, God has brought us with them into the kingdom of God. We now are Christians, most of us perhaps, maybe not all, uh, but we are now part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his son. And so Paul goes on to describe who this son is, and he gives a number of details in his letter that uh, we need to know and understand if we too are to live worthy lives, bearing fruit, growing in God, and enduring as followers of Jesus. And he tells us that the son, that is Jesus, is, first of all, the creator of all things. He's the creator. Not only that, but he is eternal. He has no beginning or end. In fact, Paul tells us that he is the supreme being, being the very fullness of him, that is God, and he, God, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, will present them, the Colossians, and us, by implication, as holy in God's sight, if we continue in the faith. What's he saying? Well, one of the things he's saying is that following Jesus involves change. It involves change. He says in chapter 1, once you were, once you were enemies of God, but now you are reconciled to God. And yet we shall be presented to God as holy and blameless in his sight. You see the sequence, we've had it in previous weeks. There is a past, once you were, a present, now we are, yet we shall be something in the future. And can I suggest to you that just for a moment you look back. Take a moment to look back. If you like, look in the, look in the rear view mirror of uh, those of us who are drivers will recognize the, the connotation. To look in the rear view mirror not of your car so much as look in the rearview mirror of your Christian experience and look back. Are we now what we were perhaps a decade ago or perhaps a year ago, perhaps even a week ago? Have we come some distance in our spiritual lives? Have we in fact changed? Paul is leading us on to where that's going to take us. More on that in a moment. But the passage that we had read for us, thank you, Sue, uh, verse 24 of chapter 1 through to verse 5 of chapter 2, a little overview as we come to it. In verses 24 and 25, Paul speaks something about himself. Verses 26 and 27, he identifies a mystery. Verses 28 and 29 
He has a purpose in view. And in verses 1 to 5, he talks about some specifics about his purpose, the purpose that he has in view. And he finishes at 4 and 5 with a warning and a final purpose. So let's take them in turn. Verses 24 and 25. In chapter 1, Paul says something about himself. And he says two things about himself in in these verses. He says, first of all, in verse 24, that he is suffering. That doesn't sound terribly good. And in verse 25, he says he is a servant. Let's deal with the servant first of all. What is Paul a servant of? Well, he says that he is the servant of the word of God. He says he has a task. And he approaches that task as a servant to God. God has commissioned him himself and he has commissioned him to present to these followers in Colossae, these followers of Jesus, and perhaps by implication us again, to present to these followers of Jesus, these Christians, what God has said and what God is saying and doing. Paul is a servant He speaks to them, these believers, so he speaks to us too as believers. This is Paul's role, to be a servant of the word of God. So we might think, well, why is he suffering? Well, he's in prison as he writes this message, and he is suffering because he preaches the word. It's not a surprise to him. Jesus told his disciples and tells us, John chapter 16, you will have trouble in the world. Sometimes we like to think, well, now I'm a Christian, perhaps life's going to be really smooth and easy all the time. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, if they hated me, and I think we know that they did, if they hated me, they will hate you too. Paul is suffering because he preaches the word and people don't like it. And Paul goes on to say, (coughs) excuse me, Paul goes on to say that something is lacking. And he says that something is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. It would be good to really note that he says that it's in regard to, not just in. You see, because the Bible makes perfectly clear and Paul makes perfectly clear in other places that Christ's sufferings, his dying on the cross, that work is complete. Jesus himself said so. Said so. He said, it is finished. Through it, through Christ's work on the cross, we are forgiven, we are reconciled to God. Nothing needs to be or should be added to it. So, what's lacking? Well, what is lacking is not what is composed in the work of Jesus, but what is lacking is that not everybody knows. Many, many people do not know that Jesus died for them. Many people do not know that they can have a new relationship with God. Many people do not know that they can have a past when they were enemies and a present when they're reconciled and a future hope to look forward to. Not 
everybody knows. And Paul is spending himself with great effort and suffering for it in going out and telling people what it is that they need to know about their relationship with God. This is why his commission is to present the word of God to them and by generations down the years to us. He does so so that these people have the opportunity to know what God has done and he's happy to suffer for it. And when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, we may have opposition too. Don't let that put you off joining the team who go round the parish, knocking on doors. Um, we haven't had any, we haven't had our eyes blacked yet. And on the other hand, we've had plenty of good conversations with people. Some people don't want to know, and they will close the door pretty quickly. But we've had good conversations with telling people who they can know about Jesus. Paul speaks about himself, the suffering servant who is willing to take the word of God to those who need to hear it. And in verses 26 and 27, he goes on and identifies a mystery. Paul goes on to speak of a mystery. Now, you and I think of a mystery as something unknown. Those of us who, from time to time, read an Agatha Christie novel know that there's a mystery and we have to try and work out what it is. But Paul here uses the word differently. He says it's a mystery, verse 26. This is a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages. Note the past tense, for ages in the past. But, he says, this mystery is now disclosed. In the present tense, it is no longer something hidden, no longer something unknown, but is something that has been revealed. And what is the mystery? Verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that way back in the Old Testament, particularly, the Messiah who was coming, the Christ who was coming, was promised. He was alluded to. He was hinted at. Things were said about him. But it was not clearly seen until Christ himself came. And he's been revealed. He's born in flesh. We celebrate it at Christmas. He is the sacrifice who went to the cross. He is the high priest who can take us into God's presence and brings us to God so that we can be forgiven. And our sins can be removed and we can be reconciled. He's the one who makes the reconciliation for us. So that now, by his spirit, he lives in us who follow and trust him. By his spirit, he lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me pause to ask a question. Let me pause to ask a question. Are you one of those who still just know the story about Jesus. You just know that Jesus once came and you know some of the things about that he did a long time ago. Is it just a story that you know? Or are you, are we, among those who know that Christ lives in us by his Holy Spirit, that he leads us, that he guides us, and it's by his Spirit 
that he processes us to make us more like himself. Do we really know that? If not, we can. Paul, the suffering servant, identifies a mystery and reveals it to us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he does this because verses 28 and 29, Paul has a purpose in view. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, he says. We teach, we advise, we urge you and us, urge us on, why? So that, he says, verse 28, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's Paul's purpose in view, to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul's purpose is to bring his readers to maturity. It's why he works so hard at it. What is maturity? Well, if you look up the dictionary, you'll find that maturity, it says, maturity is the state of having reached a stage of full or advanced development. A state of having reached a stage of full or advanced development. We can understand that with all kinds of projects, can't we? Maybe it's planting the garden, or it's, maybe it's decorating the house, or maybe it's building a supersonic airliner, whatever it is. But we know when the stage comes when we've reached full or advanced development. But let's pause again for a moment and ask ourselves the question, what about my, what about your spiritual development for a moment? Hopefully there's been some. Remember, we were once aliens and enemies, but now we are reconciled in order to present us to God without blemish, holy, free from accusation. How are we doing? How are we doing with the holiness bit? How are we doing about being free from blemishes? How are we doing with feeling that we can stand before God unaccused? Are we maturing? Sure, none of us are there yet, but are we making progress? Perhaps it's a bit of a struggle. Selwyn Hughes, who's uh, now dead, unfortunately, but uh, uh, a preacher and teacher of some years back, Selwyn Hughes said, maturity is not the absence of struggle, but the ability to struggle well. When we struggle with our holiness, when we struggle with our trying to be blemish-free, when we struggle with trying to live under the control of the Holy Spirit, do we keep going? Do we struggle well? So that's his purpose in view. Paul wants his readers and us to be mature people in God. And he lists one or two specific verses, one to five, one or two specific things. We'll probably see a few more next week. But he mentions some specific things that perhaps measure our maturity or give us ideas about where we can go with our maturity. First of all, in verse two, chapter two, verse two, he talks about them being encouraged in heart. Paul wants his readers, he wants us, 
to be encouraged, that is not easily discouraged. And it should be in our heart, in the core of our being. Those of us, maybe not too many here, but those of us who attend Hannah Scracefield's Pilates classes on a regular basis know that she goes on at some length about our core. We have to develop our core muscles so that we've got good posture. Well, at the heart of our being, we need to be those who are encouraged and encouraging. Which leads us to, also in verse 2, being united in love. Maturity involves being within the church of one mind, one purpose, one aim, one love with others in the church. It's a communal thing. If you just read the English version of the Bible, which is all that I read, I delve into various other reference books from time to time, which might make me look much clearer than I really am. But if you do, you'll discover that every you and your in this chapter, and I'm tempted to think every you and your in the whole of the book, are plural. We don't have a kind of you or your plural word, um, unless you, like I did at one stage quite a long while ago, watch too many cowboy films and you get a bit of American slang popping in when it's you all, you know, you all at one time were enemies of God, but you all now are reconciled to God and you all got hope for the future. Every word is plural. It's a communal thing. We're doing it together. If we are those who are separating, if we are those who are arguing, if we are those who are gossiping, if we are those who are going it alone in our Christian faith, then we are not mature. We need each other. Other people need us as well. And he goes on, encouraged in heart, united in love, and having complete understanding. Well, none of us are there yet. Well, I'm not. But are we growing in our understanding of our faith? Are we learning? Are we listening to the teaching? Do we do and know more of Jesus today than we did before? That's that looking back in the mirror principle. Are we growing in what we understand about our faith? Or have we sort of plateaued and not gone on? And part of growing and understanding and being united and being encouraged is, in verse 5, being disciplined. Paul is encouraged by the fact that the Colossians are disciplined people. What's discipline? Being able to carefully control the way that we work, live or behave, especially to achieve a goal. That's another dictionary definition. Being able to carefully control the way that we work, live or behave, especially to achieve a goal? Are we disciplined in the way that we live and the way that we exercise our faith? Because discipline will be part of growing in maturity. Which brings us almost to the end, you'll be pleased to hear. And Paul finishes verses 4 and 5 with a warning and a final purpose. Paul begins here, verses 4 and 5, with a warning 
more next week as we follow on to the next section. But Paul writes to them and writes to us like this so that, he says, no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. No one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. There were those at Colossae who were saying, the gospel is great. I love it. But you need this as well. You need this knowledge. You need this action. You need this gift. You need something extra. You might say they preached a gospel plus. And there were those in Colossae saying, the gospel is great, but we don't need this bit anymore. We don't need that discipline. We don't need this teaching. Those were the people who preached a gospel minus. And it's only fair to say that just as the teaching comes down to us, the warning comes down to us as well, that there will be those in the modern church, maybe even in this church, who might say similar things that sound wonderful. Paul says, beware, don't be deceived. And he finishes on a high note. Finishes on a high note. He says, verse 5, I delight to see how firm is your faith in Christ. I delight to see how firm is your faith in Christ. If we are mature people, this is a measure that we can use to test ourselves. Our faith will be firm. If our faith is constantly up and down, if we trust God and then doubt him, if we believe and then deny him, if, as he says elsewhere, Ephesians 4, we are tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine, then we are still immature. Where should our foundation be? I delight to see how firm is your faith in Christ. Our foundation is in Jesus Christ. Can I encourage us all to put our foundation there if it's not there already? Stand firm and grow in maturity. Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are no longer what we were. We are no longer your enemies, but you have made us your friends. Thank you for bringing us to this day. Thank you that you have a future for us in Christ. We pray that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit. May we grow in you and become more and more mature in Jesus. Amen.